absolutely ridiculous. Okay, welcome to Around the Course Squash podcast. Our next guest needs no introduction. An absolute legend of the game, considered one of the greatest shot makers in the history of the sport and a crowd favorite in the world, around the world, not just for his flair and deception on the court, but for his charisma and how expressive he was. Never one to be afraid to tell a referee exactly how he felt, and rightly so. He's the only male player in the history of the sport to retire at world number one. He's won every major title, including the World Open, the British Open, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, multiple TOCs, PSA Masters, you name it. John Powerman, how you doing? Thanks a million for coming on. Yeah, yeah, great. Thanks for having me, guys. This is cool. <laughs> so, you know, maybe just start off with uh, your style of play. And at the time, it was, it was, I think it's fair to say it was pretty revolutionary. You know, you're super deceptive, you're quick onto the ball, and you were known for being one of the more attacking and aggressive players. I mean, was that a deliberate thing? Um, you know, from... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would say it was deliberate, but it was more in, to to spite all the all the people that said you couldn't do it. It's more like uh, <laughs> trying to you know go against the status quo and going against the way squash was played traditionally, and everybody saying you got to establish you know things at the back of the court, and then uh, you can start uh, doing things from there. And I, I wanted to sort of introduce a, a more athletic inventive sort of style of squash and have it more open style and uh and using speed and sort of open play to uh dictate the outcome of the rally or to to get the guy really moving sounds like it suits your personality as well going against yeah. the old status quo <laughs> yeah for sure for sure that was i think uh, it has to right no matter how uh how you play if you look at all of the guys and everybody has their own way of doing things and it's largely based on uh, their personality their fears what they're prepared to do and and uh you know you can still achieve the same goals in a lot of different ways but uh, you have to be true to you, yourself and your game and and really believe that you're doing everything right at the time when you're trying to be at, be at the top right you have to be supremely confident in uh, in what you're producing out there and and uh, that is better than everybody else. Did you also see an opportunity though with, like obviously traditionally the the English and like Jahangir were sort of bashing the ball to the back and really playing that sort of high pressure game. Did you see a, an opening there to maybe exploit the front of the court a bit more and take advantage? Yeah, it's sort of, it's not like all of a sudden, but it's sort of uh, bit by bit as you play a lot of tournaments and a lot of matches and understanding you know, action, reaction. And uh, I, I knew where I was getting a lot of successes uh, when I was playing those types of players. So I knew uh, how to get to those spots on the court. So that's what I would try to do is try to uh, get to where I wanted to be, where I could uh, create uh, and impose myself on those guys. So uh, I started sort of finding it bit by bit, but then uh, I developed sort of a winning game around, uh, you know, doing just that just being a little bit uh more harder to predict and sort of uh changing a little bit uh the way people uh thought about playing by just getting on the ball early and just being more explosive and looking to uh to really unsettle the guy's game in in a lot of different respects <laughs> yeah and i can speak for uh growing up obviously watching you a ton um and i think that was you know, everyone was trying to uh, imitate you. So it made kind of 
it made squash fun for uh you know 10 11 12 13 all that you could you could go for some stuff and have a bit of creativity and fun uh it and, also gave a liberty to shout at the referee i love that oh yeah it, you know i was like hey listen Donald's doing it. he's the best in the world man i was a 14 year old <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah the parents love that i definitely uh was not the favorite amongst uh, other other junior players parents <laughs> but, uh, that was uh, just it was just so natural unfortunately um, just comes from all different things you know when uh, you you know when things are going well you know you don't necessarily have the need to be acting out and lashing out at people but when you know you're trying to achieve a certain outcome and winning is the most important thing you have to uh, find ways to, you know, make the the ultimate result come uh, come in your favor. So it wasn't like so premeditated with the referees. It's just like you're grasping at anything to sort of bring whoever you can into the game to change uh, the momentum. So after hearing that, guys, try standing over a pool shot, being JP's teammate and uh having to make a ball to win the game <laughs> think about yeah. that kind of pressure don't, don't fuck it up chris That's the good old, <laughs> yeah the good old the good old fond memories from power squash academy summer camps you you yeah. really learn how to be clutch when you got him as your teammate with uh him staring you down across the pool table like yeah just don't miss <laughs> Either that or you become a nervous wreck and you need therapy. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or a whiskey. Yeah, yeah. The problem is that I'm the person that administered the therapy afterwards too, so it, it never really ended up yeah. that well. Yeah. Those guys. Um, I just I wanted to take it back a little bit because I've had this conversation with you a little bit and uh, just kind of talking about why more Canadians don't leave the nest and, and how – being comfortable, like just kind of wanting to stay comfortable doesn't produce that like next step all the time. So just kind of, I know you, you know, you left home at a much earlier age than most and then went from Toronto living on your own, I believe, to then Europe at a fairly young age. So kind of like, what did that do for you to just like have that independence and like kind of, you know, make you, did that give you like a bit of like, I need to succeed because like, I'm out on my own and this is what I'm going to do. Um, whereas, you know, would staying, staying home and waiting until you were maybe 19 or something, like how much do you think that would have hindered your, your development? Yeah, I don't think it's so ne- uh, necessarily about age or all of that. It was more about um, you just start seeking out the next level, right? So the, whatever age you are and you're the best in that area, then you have to go to the next area to find somebody that can beat you. So um when you're having a lot of success young then you just need to be out playing matches and learning from people out there that are doing the same thing as you all over the world right there's some good players and just jumping on tour and learning how to win and lose in those early days and learning how to compete and and just be on your own because it's not always so uh, so comfortable on the tour sometimes it's great and sometimes it's a long week but uh you know you're there to compete and uh, and and just learn how to win and lose and so many kids if you stay maybe stay at home or, or you stay in comfortable environments you be, develop these fears of losing right so the, and and then you build up things in your head that don't exist and uh and they're just not sort of willing to go out and and put it all on the line and 
fuck, I lost a, a lot of times, but learned a lot of lessons from those, uh, those times and, uh, you know, how to do things uh, differently the next time. And there wasn't much of a template for where I came from because there was nobody really doing it at that, at that really elite level. Uh, so it was kind of like trial and error, right? You had to sort of uh, really just figure it out as you were doing it. It wasn't like you had traveled with coaches or teams or, you know what I mean? You, you just grab bits of information where you could from other players and figure it out by winning and losing. Right. So it's not, it's not rocket science so much as made about, you know, weight training, speed training, and drills. And at the end of the day, the job is, is to win the game of squash. So, so playing matches is, is really what you need to be doing if you want to get better and, and doing that in all different environments, circumstances, different countries, different balls, different referees, different players. So, those are the lessons uh, if you want to if you want to get to the very top. If you want to be a good player, go to college, and uh, you know there, you can do it in many different ways. But if you want start to start a podcast, start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. Good call. <laughs> but uh, you know everybody has their uh, their threshold of what they're going to put into it, and and when they do it, and different ages, and lots of influences. So that's hard. It's there's no secret sauce, but the, the, the main thing I would suggest for anybody trying to do it is get out there and play, play, play as much as you can. And uh, speaking of uh, playing, I wanted you, it's one of my favorite stories you've ever told me, just kind of in the, the principle of it was just pretty hilarious when, was it uh, grade 11 after your first, um, I think you said it was like 11th grade math class after your first PSA tour win and you were sitting in math class after being in Brazil and and winning a tournament and just being the man on the beach all week and then you that that was the moment you were like I'm done I'm, I'm, I gotta gotta There's go parts that, that's parts of that that are, that are correct uh, <laughs> I think it was it was grade 11 it was like urban geography class, <laughs> class which was uh ironic because you're learning about urban geography and then traveling to all the cities of the world and uh i came back from a successful trip down to uh brazil both uh professionally and and socially spiritually, and, <laughs> spiritually. <laughs> let's just say uh i found uh, i found a little something and uh it was pretty funny it started <laughs> off all um um it started, started off, off as friends <laughs> well it started off a little uh uh, like a little typical you're coming off the plane you're you're looking for uh, a pen to sort of fill out a customs form and typical i never think that far in advance but so i asked some guy that was standing in line behind me he was i don't know 23 24 years old young young canadian guy i go you got a pen man he's yeah yeah we start talking so we're getting off getting our bags i don't know this guy this guy's from edmonton or whatever and uh uh, this guy comes up, the tourist police comes up. He's like, yeah, come rent my apartment, rent my apartment. I'm like, what? And the, the police guys know, know this guy's legit. Like, you should see the apartment. And uh, I'm with some random guy. I'm like, no, no, I got the tournament hotel. And uh, he's like, uh, I'm staying in a hostel or whatever. And, uh, but the apartment was near the tournament hotel. So I said, let's just go for a look. So we go and uh, it ends up being like, an elevator that opens up to an apartment, like four bedroom, right on the Ipanema and Copacabana beach. It's own private floor and it's got like dining room, bedrooms, everything. So it's around four in the afternoon. We get there and I'm like, this is unbelievable. And the price was 
it was in cruceros it was before they changed their currency it worked out to about a hundred it worked out to about 15 dollars a night split <laughs> so i'm like this penthouse on the beach like uh like our own floor i i'm with this random and i'm like fine it's 750 like 750 each let's like uh, let's do it let's do it it's like i was gonna stay in a hostel so i'm like so i end up staying with this guy so i'm gonna go down i'm gonna go down uh, for a little walk so i go down to the to the beach and i come back it's like 5 30 i'm like 16 and uh, grade 11 and i come back and i bring back these two brazilian girls and he doesn't know me and i bring him back i go i, I brought you a little housewarming gift <laughs> for this ra random and uh so we, we we had a fun tournament and then the tournament proceeded and it went well and uh you know like uh, i was just fired up the whole week and uh yeah there was a uh, I think it was my first major tournament, so I got I got I qualified, and it was like a hundred, like in fifty grand tournament it was a big tournament, so I knew I was making cash. Um, guys, yep, you're good. Yep. Um, I knew I was making some cash, you know, and I had like at sixteen, so I was I was pretty happy. Uh, so then I qualified, and I was playing number four in the world, and I was never gonna like do anything at 16 but I was you know I was pretty good uh, for a little while and then I you know get run out of gas but uh I got to 14 all at uh, 14 13 up then 14 all in in the first game on the, my first glass court match ever right in the crowd like it's busy it's like busy place and and I call one I know I only called one my whole career and this started here right I never called three in the entirety of my career and I called one and I pointed to the nick and he served it and I flattened it and then <laughs> and I just walked off and I'm like, oh, and then everybody's loving it. So I'm like, okay, that was, that's all I needed from that tournament. <laughs> my, my glory moment, my glory squash moment and my glory social moment. And uh, I went back to grade 11 urban geography and I'm like, guys, I got a new, I got a new path. I got a new path. <laughs> so I figured uh, grade 11's got, can't hold a candle to that week. <laughs> so I, I decided to pack it in and, and go, go for it on the squash court. Did you always feel like you were going to make it to world number one, world champion? Like, was that always part of the plan? You were talking earlier about always setting yourself on the next site, but it seems like you were someone that from a pretty young age just knew that's what you wanted. Maybe it started on that trip, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it started, it's, you know, I, it started, um, I think, I don't know what age I was, but I spent a lot of time with Johangir. And then I would hear through the rumor mill that he thought I could uh, be number one in the in the world. So it kind of gave me confidence to, you know, uh, know that I could do it. If somebody like that has already done it, thinks that I could do it, and that sort of uh, you know gives you different bits of confidence. And uh, you know, I, I just I I almost squandered it for sure. But um, there was certain it was in me to kind of continue to just keep finding ways to. Uh, solved the problem so I that was it in the end I solved it getting to number one that was it that's all I wanted to do really <laughs> and, then, and then finish at number one yeah yeah for sure I was focused that that I, I woke up one morning it was really funny I just had a nightmare trip to Asia and uh, Middle East and then finished in Saudi Arabia won that tournament went back to number one then all my flights got canceled. It was just one of those nightmare trips that you guys have all been on, like flights getting canceled and, go, and just came back after six or seven weeks 
away and I was like grinding. I got to number one and then Shabana was number two. And we did 13 exhibitions in 13 days after that uh, break, after that New Year's. And literally just play, flight, match, drink, wake up, flight, match, drink. Like, uh, like it was like, because they're so social, those uh, exhibitions. It's so exhausting, right? And everybody wa wants to, you know, have that time. It's their, it's, it's their only time of the year. And it's good, they great. Force your, they forced your hand. Yeah, they forced my <laughs> they forced my 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 trembling alcoholic hand. <laughs> Settle down there. I I got just I got just a cure for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. The nerves settled quickly. But after that that trip, I think I was heading to tournament of champions, and I just told Shabana was staying at my house, so I just said, "Look, buddy, I'm I'm done. I'm just going to tell the people I need to tell this week, and uh, I'm retiring this week. You're going to be the new number one." He's like, fuck, serious, JP? Fuck, fuck, that's, that's great, man. I mean, oh, that's too bad. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. My favorite was when I told Greg at the tournament, I arrived at the tournament, tournament champions, and then Greg's three. And we were all pretty close. They all stayed in my house. I sort of would train, train those guys a lot of times. And um, so we were pretty close. So uh, Greg, I tell him. And he, and he starts tearing up. He starts getting real <laughs> emotional. And it's like, fuck, fuck. And I'm like, yeah, don't worry, man. It's okay. You know, like lots ahead of you. And he goes, no, man, I never fucking beat you. Fuck. And it just sort of came over his head that he never, we never had a win against me. And uh, I think I killed him more than, uh, than that. I, I was so, I was so overwhelmed. I thought, geez, this guy really cares about me. He loves me. Loves me. He's like, no, it was all, all about how he, he never got the chance to, he needed a few, a few more chances to, to play me. <laughs> the, the two guys you're putting a roof over the one cheers and the other says i never had a chance to beat you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah it was that was it and then i just stopped never thought about it again yeah pretty it was, cool it was all of a sudden all of a sudden it wasn't like this big like i'm gonna retire at number one but sort it, of happened i do i remember at the time i remember that trip to asia i wasn't at the tournaments i was at one of them the worlds maybe the but, worlds yeah 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 that was a mad trip i remember a lot of i think everyone in that trip struggled with flights and stuff and connections and going to pakistan and then going from there to saudi arabia yeah all of that exactly you remember that shit I, that was that was a nightmare trip and i had i knew it was going to be a nightmare and i booked all business the whole way to make sure it wasn't and they canceled all my flights my business couldn't so I, I was going bananas, right? Spent all the extra money and <laughs> uh, but that, that happens all the time. But it was pretty, that was definitely a part, part of it. I was getting tired. I was just getting tired and there was no more to do. I'd won every tournament. I'd had every feeling of winning in every place and achieved those goals. And so I was just playing for what? You're not playing the tour for money, really. You're playing for the ranking and you're playing for the experience and I felt like I had every experience there was to have on the tour in terms of uh, winning, losing, traveling, having fun, having ups and downs, and there wasn't much more to gain. So I, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a good time. And my wife wasn't going to have a kid with me in, until I retired. So I made that choice. We had a kid a year later. Did you, uh, did you feel like when you beat Ricketts in Saudi and you knew you got back to world number one that it was like, 
the Zen moment where you felt, oh, okay, this is this is it. I've, I've done it again. It didn't feel as good as it did when I was younger, and and here I am. Yeah, I I think it was like uh, it was good to good to be back because it was so many so many injuries, and I had a good year that year, so I won six or seven tournaments that year, and it was it was it was there, and then I won the last one to sort of get me to number one, and yeah, it felt like that was a that was enough. Yeah, there wasn't uh, there wasn't much more left out, out there for me. I think you lost that in between as well for a month, right? I think you got number one in Saudi for January. And then you lost it for a month in February, and then you got it back in in March. In March, and and before the tournament champions, that that makes that makes sense. Yeah, I think because I don't know how that would have worked, but points coming on and off, and uh, yeah, yeah, that that was during the time that yeah, exactly. That was during the time there was some tournaments, Canadian Open, all of our exhibitions that whole January. Yeah, that's right. And then I think it came back on in uh, February. Or, or or March, I would have come on in March, number one, and that's when I retired. Yeah, good. I've been in uh, I've been in the Big Apple for two years now. I wanted to ask you a little about like you know I I think I've heard you talk about how much you like playing the TOC before, but like you know what was it about the tournament that you just felt like you know the the energy and what what brought the best out of you in New York? Oh, uh, it's close to home. You know, I I know pretty much everybody in the stands. You know, I just played tournaments in the u.s and canada like from the time i was you know eight or nine years old so you just it's so familiar and then plus it's new york and i i got uh, you know quite a bit of at the time quite a bit of juice in new york so it was always fun and uh you know really whooped up the new york lifestyle and 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 you know it was it was good to me and i like the atmosphere and just the familiarity you have certain tournaments that just speak to your personality and speak to you where you're comfortable and that was definitely me, like uh, the king of the train station. <laughs> <laughs> JP on Broadway. Been under the tracks or winning squash tournaments. I want to, either way, <laughs> I was going to be there. <laughs> How do you think that's going to affect the, the tournaments coming up in the next couple of months that are obviously behind closed doors and no atmosphere, no energy, no spectators? Like, do you think that's going to play a, play a role or be a factor? Mm, yeah, it's going to be difficult. Like, the, there's definitely. Uh, you're definitely going to be not doing much. You'll be sort of locked up in your room and waiting to get a practice and get a, get a match. So it's going to be pretty sterile and pretty boring. So I think some players are going to struggle a little bit with that solitary uh, environment. But I mean, once the squash starts, it doesn't matter how many people are there because it's so much about uh, man on man. Like the crowd really doesn't win you a lot of matches. It's not like a basketball game where, you know, swings of, of 20,000 people roaring when you're, when you're feeling hot, it's like you're, you, it helps, it, it helps, but not, it doesn't really change the, the crowd rarely changes the outcome of the match. But um, I think it'll be tough more getting prepared to play in that environment. Like uh, if you need a little bit more stimulation for some of the guys. It's definitely been interesting watching the US Open tennis this week and, Catching a bit of Andy Murray, who was two love down and looked really flat, and then seeing how he sort of managed to fire himself up, but it really took him a lot of effort to to get himself going. Yeah, he's done that a few times. Yeah, that was good. I mean, I saw him in that tie break there, and then he kind of felt he'd done it enough times that he could uh, he could do it. But uh, yeah, yeah, he think he looked a little bit slow yesterday. Jeez, it didn't go, didn't look so didn't go so well for him. <laughs> Your Canadian boy certainly put him to the sword. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. We have another like he's playing right now, but the other Canadian guy just beat Batista Agu and and Raonic. So we have this guy like we got four guys that are playing really good tennis, top top twenty tennis, which is pretty good for uh, for this small country. Yeah, and then <laughs> the the young girl as well, Andrescu on the women's side. Is... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But she hasn't played in a year now. She's her injuries. I don't know if she'll play again. That was weird. She played the U.S. Open. And she and she'd been in. She's been injured since, and she pulled out again. Yeah, but still, amazing accomplishment. Won the U.S. Open. On that note, like with Murray and you know getting whooped by a Canadian, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention bring up a little bit of your rivalry with Peter. You know, was representing Scotland at the time, and you know, Part of the time. <laughs> <laughs> when you were in the middle of those battles, did you ever think that at the time that geez, you know, people are going to be talking about these matches for? years on end, decades on end, did you think they become, you know, it was a rivalry to become a legend, really? Kind no, of it's certainly not when you're in it. You're just like, it's you're, it's just so myopic, right? Insular. But like, uh, you're just, you're you're not thinking about the totality of things. You're just thinking about the, the next match, the last match, the last practice. And, and certainly we, uh, we fought each other in every way. Um, early on in our career, throughout our career for most of it. Yeah. Which is, it was a great, uh, it was a great thing turned into a a really great relationship, like really adversarial, really different guys. And uh, in the end it was, it was probably the only other guy on this earth that really got it in the same way that you got it. Right. Cause he was the, on the other side. So it's kind of cool. I I really like that relationship now. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty good. I have one guy that really, understands all that was going on and stuff like that the different schools because he was playing like so so well and and that old brand of squash and and playing it like to perfection you know like uh, such great take such great pressure and and then and then also just you know not giving you any room to do much you know you had to create everything yourself so he was not going to give you anything one of the things I remember quite clearly about it was the sort of back and forward nature of it in terms of like one of you would win three or four in a row and then the other one would go away and work on something to try and counteract that and come back and then turn it around. And it seemed like both of you got on top for like sustained periods of maybe six months or yeah. two or three tournaments and then it would swing back. And what was that like to be like in the middle? Like one one moment you're probably chopping on free love thinking, right, I've got this guy. And then the next time you play him he's totally changed things around and you're like shit where did that come from <laughs> yeah for sure we were always you're always adapting trying to be like figure it out figure it out but uh, for sure i was a little bit every time i would get on top of something in squash i was a little quick to reward myself for, for a few months, <laughs> for a Star, few months. starting with that trip in brazil <laughs> yeah so that continued so when i get to number one or, or when i was getting successes i was just milking it for all of <laughs> all of the good parties i get invited to for being number one until i wasn't number one anymore and then i'd have to figure out how to get back into those parties <laughs> but uh so then so there was a lot of ups and downs and uh, certainly my ducks need, needed to be in a row and and then you know he's you know super super sharp and something some of the other guys trying to figure out ways watching video i mean they they did a lot of work on 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 trying to uh, change things and then so i'd have to go back to the drawing board and really mostly what i did was get in in shape so that was it was more it was less tactical like i felt like i had my firm tactics 
from the first time I beat Peter Nickel in the tournament champions, like a long time ago, I felt like I knew the patterns, but you know, he would just make you do it forever and ever and ever and just keep resetting and resetting the point, resetting the point. So you had to be world-class fit, which was always a bit of a, an obstacle for me. And, and then when you get to the tournaments, the guys started getting better. So the, the journey to the final was a lot harder. And then sometimes you'd show up banged up. And if you're a little bit off the pace against something like that, you're, you're not going to win. So you have to, uh, a lot of it, I'm sure for him, the same thing, right? Your body, like when, when your body's feeling good, you feel like, nope, everything's going to go right. But, you know, it takes a lot to play five matches in a row and have your body feeling good um, day after day, right? So that's that's the hard, that's the hardest part is getting like man strength and being able to finish all of those all of those rounds when it's not quite right you know from the outside it always felt like you probably paid less attention to what he was doing and it was just about you getting in shape and having the confidence that if I play well I can win like as long as I'm physically where I need to be it doesn't really matter what he does if I'm playing well I, I can beat him whereas it seemed like he probably focused more on what you were doing and trying to like work on solutions to counter that yeah, that's how it, that's how I felt. Uh, certainly, I, I did. And then he, they did a good job. They got a lot of money. He moved to England. They got a lot of money. They so remind me of that. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I remember it well. <laughs> but he did. He did it. You know, obviously it was monetary, and uh, you know, if he felt like it was the best for his career, and uh, and it was certainly because then he had this infrastructure where they were sending guys with videos like for the first time and, and just got like full staff trainers and coaches. And so they were showing up with a bus of people and, uh, you know, videoing your matches and just spending all day just watching little things, talking about it. So he really, you know, that was a group and him put it in practice because he's a, he's a sharp guy that can adapt. And then he did, he found little, little spots and got, started getting wins um, you know, built a good team around himself, you know, took some risks and took some hits for it. Like, obviously there's a lot of fun people that were like, Oh my God, doing that was a big, uh, a big thing in his career leaving Scotland, going to England. And so, but I think it was the best thing for his, his squash career and it paid dividends. I felt like I was yeah. playing a whole, whole, uh, squad, you know, you're playing all of these guys, like you're playing the whole group of them. Every time you played one of them, you played all of them. Which was, uh, <laughs> Sounds like it was your fault he declared for England. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I've done worse than many a man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted, when I, when I was thinking about, um, you know, when I asked you to come on, I was really thinking about something that you, you probably haven't talked about to, to many people in, you know, the interviews and stuff. And, you were obviously a, a huge spark in Canadian squash for like my generation and, and, and still, but I'm curious as to like what took place and kind of at what point in your career, I'm not sure if it was when you were number one or you started doing this a little bit more, like as you retired, like you were on TSN, which is, you know, the Amer uh, America's ESPN and it was cool because like it was the first time that people who did not play squash were coming up to me asking about you and it just gave the sport a little bit more, you know, coverage and recognition. Um, so just curious as to like what took place 
to get you on uh i think it was off the record right with michael landsberg a bunch and stuff and just get you on the on the tv yeah that that was sort of came about i think after i became number one in the world they asked me to be on the show and it was pretty early on in the show it became like the biggest talk show in canada actually there's like a daily talk show and it was over a million probably people watching every day because um but he sort of said yeah whatever invited me on the show and there was always three people on the panel and I never really had much to protect it came from a different world from everybody else I didn't owe anything to any sponsors any team there's no team owner there was no managers there was no coaches nobody really had anything on me right so I could pretty much say whatever I wanted and I did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I just, you know, so I would just call things out and I would be jo- joking. And when he got to know me, then he realized I could take either side of any argument. So he started using me. I'd go back there all the, every other, every four weeks or something. I would go on the show and he would just say, go after that guy, go after that behind the scenes. Like he just, he would just use it. Like, just tell me, you know, like use me as a bit of a, a co-host to kind of spar, like get guys fired up. Right. <laughs> And I had some funny, funny fights on there. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Non squashers loved you. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> like I would have had anything to sell or anything to lose, but when you're a squash player, you have nothing. Period. <laughs> <laughs> Just good times. Just, Just good, good times. Time. Stir it up. <laughs> Just stir it up. <laughs> Yeah. So with that in mind, what do you think of the, the game these days and the current generation of players? Like, no holds barred, sit, tell it like it is, go for it. Oh, there's some great players out there, for sure. I mean, there's, That's not uh, what we want to hear. We want to hear the, the opposite. The... <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. There's definitely some, uh, there's some players. I mean, there's, everything changes, right? So, like, I mean, there's, there's definitely some guys. Uh, everybody matches up differently. But the guys that have won major tournaments, when you figure out a way to get to number one in the world and solve the problem that's in front of you, like, and you do it over and over again, then you're consistently winning tournaments, then you're at any point in time, you have the, you have the right to be there. And, and those, at least three out of the four guys, I feel, uh, you know, um, uh, I, w- I wouldn't give Tarek as much credit as I give the other three guys. Um, but I love his style probably the most because it's so fun to watch. But I, I wouldn't give I wouldn't give him the same. Uh, he he would get bullied off the court by a lot of former number ones. But other than that, I think all three of those guys are are are, are you know they made they made it to number one and they did it all in their own ways. And the problem that the worst problem and everybody knows is, is that it's like for people who watch squash so passively. They're all one guy, right? It's like uh, it's like John Chur and Jahangir, like oh, it's just Khan, right? Like it, it's it's just Egypt, right? Like it's not like they can't really differentiate themselves in terms of personality or driving the game. Now they the country drives, the brand is the country, and what the squash is doing in the country. So it's a little less individual, which is strange for an individual sport, right? It's just become like almost like a like a, a nation thing rather than this guy is so good. That guy is so good. It's like that country is so fucking good at squash. <laughs> uh, it's a bit unfortunate though, because if, if you know the game, you know, they are different players, you know, they have different, like Shibagi and Gawad are very different. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right because 
because they're so dominant, non-squash people just assume, oh, it's kind of like how we probably view like Chinese badminton players. Yeah, like, or hockey, sure. in Canada. hockey in Canada is a very good example. Yeah. Like, it's like you got one country that dominates most of it. You got a bunch of other countries that fit in and uh, some traditional countries, you know, like, you know, England and Australia and Pakistan and they're still kind of floating around or whatever, but um, really it's dominated by one, one nation. So I can't get this phone to sit up. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, that's, I would say those guys are, they're, I mean, they're all, all great players, but uh, unfortunately for the game of the squash, their, their greatness is going to get lost uh, just by being all lumped in together. Um, and, and they don't deserve it because they have all done it individually and they're all completely different. Like the way Ali plays, all, all four of those guys are completely different players, which I, which I find really, uh, really cool. But uh, yeah, it's time for something to upset that a little bit. And how's our boy Diego looking coming into these, uh, into these events? Yeah, that, that's the horse to bet on. That's really the only horse that's to bet on. So um, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. So it's, it's going, it's going well. I'm, I'm excited for him. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We'll see what happens, but he's You're not giving he away was, too much there. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say can... <laughs> he's playing really, really hitting the ball really clean. He has to get a few more, a little bit more match practice, but once he gets a taste of winning and be able to go through five matches in a row, is going to be tough to beat. Yeah. Once she gets that match fit, like it's something that you can't get from training, right? You have to be able to win five matches in a row. You have to be able to do it and do it from experience and, and, and map out that pain for the whole week. So uh, he hasn't done it yet. So there's nothing to talk about, but he has all the tools to, uh, to do it. And then some, and I think it'd be great. Cause he's got a, he's, he's a, he's a good kid. And uh, I think kids can get behind him and it can create some kind of, uh, rivalry with the with Egypt, you know, just to change the narrative a little bit. Yeah. Can you give us any insight into how you go about that process in terms of like, is it just about getting his game up to the highest level possible, or is it about right if we play Shabagi in the next tournament, this is the thing that's going to break his game down, and then if it's Tarek, this is the th- like you approach each of those guys ahead of him individually and try and build game plans around that, or do you just try and get his level? and his fitness to the best possible level you can. Yeah, I, I, I steer away from that. I mean, first got to build a winning game before you build uh, around not losing to somebody. So uh, I think he hasn't developed, uh, proven to, to build a winning game yet, but he's uh, on, the right, uh, on the right track, and he has all the tools to do everything. Not everything, like there's going to be a couple things, but he, he is the best ball striker out of those guys. He hits the heaviest ball. And uh, so once he solves, um, you know, some physical things and, uh, and can mitigate some of his movement issues, and, which are coming, you know what I mean? He's, he's a clever kid. So, um, yeah, he'll, he, he'll, uh, he'll have his time. He'll have his time for sure. Well, he's, he's also quite, he's a couple of years younger than those boys, right? Like he's oh, like yeah, yeah, 23. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, I'd say he's like, you know, five to seven years younger than those guys. And for the most got, part, he's a beast. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's put on a lot of weight. He's put on twenty pounds of muscle, and he's gotten he's gotten a lot stronger. So that spent didn't play. You couldn't play much squash during COVID. So we spent a lot of time just 
changing like a all, like technique and uh, working on a lot of little details and um, on the squash court and then otherwise just putting on size and strength. Uh, so just I to, love. I loved seeing you hooked up to the harness on the patio there. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> make, make me do it. And you, still like, get, uh, you still got the old man horsepower in you. Uh, still, getting, <laughs> still getting off the line. <laughs> For sure. But it it sounds get. like if, because uh, Diego's beaten most of those guys, if not all of them. And yeah. Like yeah. you say, he just yeah. hasn't done it like back to back. That's the thing. Yeah, he's, he's got the capability. But, I mean, he is... He's beaten them all before, but I think I would say he's added at least 50% to his game. And if he's physically got the extra bit of muscle to help him navigate those matches like back-to-back, it sounds like, I mean, I know mentally he's he's a tough nut as well, so it sounds like he's kind of primed really to get a good run at these guys in the next few months. For sure, for sure. I think, I'm I'm hoping so, yeah. I I really feel like his game is miles better than it was when he was, sparingly beating those guys but those guys were considerably better even though he got a few wins they were just a lot stronger and uh, you know you can always you can steal a win here and there from guys but he wasn't on the level and he would he knows that but uh, now he's now he's on the level so we'll just have to see how uh, how he how he manages that after that it's mental yeah be nice to sort of mix it up a little bit i think it's just seems like it's just himself and uh, paul cole um, although maybe Rosner's kind of sounds like he's kind of keen to kind of give it another crack, not another yeah. crack, but he sleep on don't sleep on Greg. Greg will get one final easily this year. Do you think he can make it back to sort of top four, or do you think he's yeah? Struggle? I think he'll get uh, he'll he'll get to at least one final. I don't know if he'll make top four, but he'll 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 be in the mix every every week to uh, eliminate guys. So he's a t- tough out. Like he can't. Uh, he just went through the worst knees for two years of knee, and then tried to come back too early. And I know that that guy works so hard on his body. And then once he gets his movement back, and you can get your speed back with all the all the science that's out there. So if he gets that, another guy, another, and then and then if you have Paul, him, and Diego, you need one more, and then you got you got you got an Egypt versus the rest of the world. Rosner maybe more, but he'll still never beat you though. <laughs> never beat me. I won't fucking play him. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. play. Beauty. Well, good chopping it up, man. I don't yeah. think I've seen you in a few years, so it's good to see your face. I know you. you had <laughs> ages. I saw Arthur in, in January, but yeah, that's right, man. Yeah, yeah. But whatever it was, yeah. It was a di- different world then. Fucking rights, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day we're having a beer in Grand Central and then we grow long hairs and beards for six months in COVID. <laughs> That's it. Oh, man. What a shocker. But, uh, yeah, hopefully you'll be back. We're work, yeah, work on a few things and hopefully the world will turn around. Yeah, looking forward to sharing a beer in person, man. Yeah, when do you ever get back here? I hear you just got married, buddy. Fucking congrats. Thank you. <laughs> oh, nice. Way to Thank go. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hey. Stuart's next. About a month. About a month in. That's good. Wow. Long way off for me. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been seeing the same girl for sixteen years. I'm taking it slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still got another another twenty to go. Or exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to rush into these things, do you? Same no, day. No. Same day as retirement. <laughs>
<laughs> just, just <laughs> Look, I'm gonna be around the house a lot more. I think we should get married. <laughs> <laughs> if we get through these next five years, I'll definitely put a ring on it. I'll see you guys. This yeah, night. great to see you. Thanks a million for coming on. And legend, yeah, really appreciate All it. All right, cool. Thanks, bye. buddy. Have a good one. Cheers, you too. See ya. What a legend, Jonathan Power. I'll never forget when Jonathan came to our home club in Carlow in Ireland, a wee small town just south of Dublin, back in 99 with Willie Hosey for an exhibition. And the buzz that it generated at the club inspired every kid, every man or his dog, uh, practicing deception and skills and, and what have you. It was, it was pretty cool. That's episode 16, not to be missed, probably our best one yet. Thanks to Jonathan for taking the time out to come on the show and to speak with us. As ever, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Stuart. Thanks to everyone for listening and for all the positive feedback to date. If you are enjoying, or at least at the very least enjoy, this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it. You can subscribe and download using any podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And you can check us out on social media on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Great news as well this week coming from the PSA with the resumption of the tour. And that starts in Prague this week with Gaultier making an appearance at a 12K event for the first time in about 18 years. And uh, really exciting. And then Manchester starts a week a week later, where Gaultier will be back in action alongside all the top male and female squash players in the world. I miss squash. All right, happy days, and thanks for listening. Cheers.